0: Our scripture reading for this morning comes from Titus chapter 2, and we're going to read that responsively here in just a moment, just for purpose of remembering our context. The first chapter having to do with qualifications of leadership, most of which was spent not on what it takes to qualify oneself or be qualified as a leader within the church, but what it looks like if they're not in place. What we read last week was the long list of things that can happen to a church when they do not understand or obey the first portion of Titus 1. So when we read here in a moment, the word but is referring back to those bad examples. We're going to take a turn. So, Let's all stand together this morning. I'll read the first all together on the second, and we'll read through verse 5. But as for you, teach what accords with sound doctrine. Older men are to be sober-minded, dignified, self-controlled, sound in faith, in love, and in steadfastness. Older women, likewise, are to be reverent in behavior, not slanderers or slaves to much wine. They are to teach what is good. And so train the young women to love their husbands and children, to be self-controlled, pure, working at home, kind and submissive to their own husbands, that the word of God may not be reviled. Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you for your word, we thank you for its truth, and we ask now that you give us a mind to understand and a heart to be ready to obey. We ask this in your precious name, amen. You may be seated. We're in our fourth installment in our series through the very short New Testament book of Titus, and... Titus was a younger man than Paul, the author, and Paul writing in an official capacity in this short letter that was to be uh, circulated among the house churches, there were many of them, on this island called Crete. And the reason for the circulated letter was not necessarily to get on the same page with Titus. Titus knew what he was to do, but the letter was to let everybody else know that as Titus began to do what he'd been asked to do by Paul, they would know what he was doing and why he was doing it. And you may recall a number of weeks ago when uh, I made this statement that we would refer back to at least a number of times God designed the church so he gets to say how it's put together and because this is inspired scripture all these things laid out for Titus are also laid out for us they weren't suggestions for Titus they're not suggestions for us either and we needed to take to heart that first installment the introduction are we ready to do this God's way To do it right, so many churches get it wrong, but there is laid out for us crystal clear what God expects, and I talked about how in the first chapter that might come easy enough because most churches expect that the Bible should say something about whether or not their leaders are qualified, that there should be the difference between good leadership and bad leadership, and we'll take the good leadership, that's the way I like it. But you might remember that I did warn you that by the time we get to chapter 2, this little book is going to get into your business. And then do we have such a hearty amen for chapter 2 as we did chapter (laughs) 1? Because after all, these are not suggestions. We're going to read what God expects of the rest of the body, not just the elders, but the everybody, not just the leadership, but some would call the laity. So all of that is together for us and we begin that this morning. And if some of the things that we read as we move along and in the next couple of weeks uh, seem hard to hear, and perhaps even reading through that passage of Scripture, there there were parts there, perhaps chapter or verse 4 and 5, that you know people that wouldn't necessarily feel that way or think that way, maybe related to people, and you feel that that awkward feeling that comes with I know this is true but how that all shakes out in the world around us we're going to see clearly in passages like this how different God expects the church to be than the world that church lives in we're in this world we're not of this world and I think that will become clear and just to understand that a lot of what we're going to read absolutely flies in the face of what our culture would say is right or fitting for older men older women, younger men, younger women and what they should do with their time and what they should be looking for or or striving for or the way they should act or how they should spend time with each other Or people, they shouldn't spend time with each other. It's going to be drastically different. Now, what we're going to cover this morning is just the first part of chapter 2. Actually, just the first part of what we read. And we could have read further. But we're going to look at what concerns two categories. And there are four, if not five categories addressed in chapter 2. Some might even go as far as to say six. But the first two that we read about this morning, older men and older women. And I don't often have the opportunity to single out a group of people within the church family, unless, of course, that's what the passage is doing. Most passages speak to the whole family. Well, this portion of this passage speaks just to a specific group. But if you're not an older man or an older woman, you're not off the hook today. Because we're going to learn they're designed to all fit together. So we're each learning about the other groups and how we're to relate to them, what we're to learn from them or teach them. All of that is in here as we we go along. Now John Stott said that Titus 2 uh, and its material, we find the indissoluble connection between Christian doctrine and Christian duty. That's where the two of them meet. And between our theology and the actions that come from that theology. To put it another way, and, and we've already said as much, the what with big capital letters, the what we believe should determine the how capital letters we behave. So chapter 2 is believing determines your behaving. You could shorten it even more. Just write down somewhere on, on a page. Believing is behaving. That's chapter 2. And just to take a few moments to make sure that we all understand how important that concept is. Believing is behaving. And it's not just tucked away in a little portion of a small book called Titus. It's all over the New Testament. And it couldn't be more clear, especially from Paul. If you read through Romans, it's going to take you 11 chapters to get through the initial doctrinal teaching before you get to chapter 12 where the practical begins. So the first 11 chapters are what you're to believe. When you get to chapter 12, it's how you behave. You probably are familiar with this. I appeal to you, therefore, on the basis of 11 chapters' worth of believing studies... To present your bodies a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship, do not be conformed to this world. You're to look different. And on several more chapters from this point, he carries out what it looks like to live as a Christian. Uh, if you would look through Colossians, it's the same thing after two chapters of doctrine Uh, chapter 3 begins if then you have been raised with Christ seek the things which are above where Christ is seated at the right hand and a long list of things that don't apply to you anymore that's the old man and a long list of things you're to do now that you believe differently than the rest of the world Uh, in Ephesians after three chapters of doctrine you get to chapter 4 it begins I therefore on the basis of three chapters worth of belief. I urge you to walk in a manner worthy of your calling you're different now so walk worthy of that difference in your life and then uh, finally in Philippians and these are all Paul's books after three chapters of doctrine chapter 4 begins therefore and really that's his trigger word when you see the therefore go back to what he just said and because of that he's introducing something else because you know better My brothers, whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, stand firm thus in the Lord. So take your belief, use it as a foundation, stand on your own two feet as a believer in Jesus Christ, saved by grace, and look like it in front of the world that's watching. That's basically chapter 2 of Titus. Said again, perhaps in a slightly different way, but that's the point. So I think with that, God is clear in the point he's making that he expects us having believed in him and knowing him to work out what we know and believe in a way that looks like we know and believe it so let me give you this we won't dwell here this is for about three sermons out And this is where chapter 2 will end. But I thought it important enough to say it now, so we'll know about it later. You might want to write it down. The lost world will not judge you based on your theology. They don't know what theology is. This is the lost world that doesn't know Jesus. They don't read their Bibles. They don't go to church. They don't know what we know. So for them, us to think that they'll judge us based on what we know theologically would be an error on our part. What will they judge you on? Your behavior. And whether or not the Bible you claim to believe is actually the Bible you actually live out in life. This is, we talked about this on Wednesday studying through Philippians. That this is the, the, the terrible reality of the Christian. And terrible meaning it's, it's responsibility that looms over you. That once you become a Christian, everything you do will either bring glory to his name or shame to his name. In the company of the world that he also died for. So that's the stakes that we're looking at when we walk through these, these things. So let's look at verse 1. But as for you, that's the transition. In contrast to the fake teachers we talked about last week, he's addressing Titus here. But as for you, teach what accords with sound doctrine. And the way that's written there, it could be confusing. He's not saying to teach sound doctrine. He's already said that. And that's Titus's function there in the church along with the other elders. He's saying here teach what accords with sound doctrine in addition to your teaching of sound doctrine there's another component that needs to be in there right along with it and that is what accords with sound doctrine it's accompanied by it that which fits with it and here's the definition of what accords with sound doctrine it is, the, is the practical application of that sound doctrine as it's worked out in everyday life or in other words you could say this put another way Titus, when you're teaching sound doctrine, give them the application too. Tell them how to do it. Give them examples. Tell them stories. But make sure you they understand how to flesh that out. Kind of like... When uh, Ezra's teaching in Nehemiah and there were those priests, the, the, the Levites, in amongst the crowd to give the sense of what was said so that they understood completely. It's the very same thing. Show them where the rubber meets the road, what Christianity looks like at street level. From your position in the pew on an average Sunday, do you think that would be a good thing? That along with the sound doctrine, you got what accords with it. Okay, I know, I see the machine, show me how it works. Give me the instructions. Show me where the switch is, the levers, all those things. It's brilliant. And this is exactly what Paul does in verse 2, which is also great. He tells Titus, okay, give him the the application along with the doctrine, and then verse 2. That's exactly what Paul does. He begins to outline specific detailed instructions for different groups within the church uh, as if to say this is how your belief should behave. You could put it this way, Titus, call a family meeting, spell out the things that should shake out of all that doctrine you've been teaching them because the rest of Crete is watching. So, having said as much so far, with that sort of serving as somewhat of a lengthy introduction, it would be wrong for us to think that what we're going to read in the next two, three weeks, this list of things for older men, older women, younger men, younger women, is just another long listing of prescriptions aimed at specific demographics within the church, all to help us in some. Grandiose scheme of uh, moral self-improvement. This is not a self-improvement message or series. Uh, this is not a self-help sermon. This is not a master level course in churchmanship. Remember, these aren't suggestions that, and, that you can try on and see if they fit. And if they don't, hand them to somebody else. Or take it home and write it to them in a card. My pastor talked about you today. <laughs> this is all for us. And because it's given in Scripture, it's a command. This is what our God in heaven expects of us. Not optional. So let's look at and see what's in store for the older men. And that's in uh, verse 2. Does it surprise us that Paul begins with older men? probably shouldn't. But would we say that that's in step with what our culture does as far as the priority it places on uh, age or youth? I'd say our culture probably gets it backwards. We start with the younger people. And even in churches, we like to say things like, well, the kids are our future. And they are, but no faster than we're getting older. They get as old as fast as we do, one day at a time. Uh, at the speed of life. But think about it. When you got ready to build this educational wing, did you start your focus group with the five-year-olds? No, you got men together with experience in certain areas and you started to think in that direction. Same with the church, spiritually speaking. Where do you go from maturity and stability? You go to the older generation. And that seems as though why Paul starts with them it only seems to make sense older men are to be and here's the list sober minded dignified self-controlled sound in faith in love and in steadfastness so we've got six specific qualities they're grouped in two sets seems to be the first three you could label dignity that seems to fit the first three and the second three you could label maturity seems to fit nicely under that category but before we go any further, would it help anybody to go ahead and take care of the age question because <laughs> I 've been saying older and younger, well, what does that mean what 's the number, right well i 'm glad Paul doesn 't say specifically, so that means i don 't have to either. <laughs> but we could go into a long uh, discussion of or should we use the Hebrew idea for this or the Greek Hebrew for this well they 're in Crete, very Greek people, very Roman uh, cultured. Fifty seemed to be their designation and at fifty usually their children had left the home. So they're empty nesters. So use that as your reference point. That sounds somewhat generous. It's a little younger than maybe our culture would put that. But use that for whatever it's worth. You're as old as you feel, correct? That's what I've been told. Well, the older men are to be, wherever you, whether you consider yourself in that group or not. Uh, it's possible that older Christian men would have these thing and these things in spades, but it's not necessary. In other words, you can be an older man in the church and not have any of these things. So that's why Paul says they are to be. This is what they should look like. And the first, depending on your translation, may be temperate or sober-minded. That literally means not mixed with wine or more woodenly, wineless. But it's not necessarily just for that. He doesn't start off by saying they should not be drunkards. He's already used that term elsewhere. He's talking more of... of the ability to be in control of one's own faculties the older men should be that temperate means not under the influence of anything that would take the steering wheel from his control and you would think well that's usually more of a problem with younger men who are led by their whims or their passions or their desires or the voices of their peers but it could be the same with older men too And probably worse at this age if that still persists. This type of character quality comes from a mature perspective that has lived long enough to see through the schemes that would control one's life and they've been able to discard them. This man has done many things and been many places and knows what really matters most. The best way I heard written down to describe this was that he has filtered out life and knows what to throw away and what to keep what really matters and what doesn't what's a good investment what's a waste of his time older men by experience have that that younger men do not now speaking uh as one who's about to be 40 so i'm a good bit of space behind the designation as older man i don't know of any one single thing i'd like to have more from the older men than help in that category as to know how to filter out life and know what is a waste of my time. I only have but so much time. We all have the same 24 hours, seven days a week. But at the rate my kids are growing and uh, things that I used to be able to do and feel comfortable doing, not feeling the same and just the busyness that seems to have you running all day and then at the end of it feel like it lasted about six hours instead of, eight or twelve that's what I'd like to have I for one am glad Paul told Titus to tell the older men be this for the younger men so they'll know what to do Uh, dignified is another worthy of respect is the definition of dignified it's the idea of being serious-minded doesn't mean that they're boring but it doesn't mean that they're flippant or trivial Certainly not shallow. They've got far too much refinement to be shallow at that age. It should be. There is a weightiness about their character. It's a description of a man who's grown up. And by 50, you would think he should be, right? Not always. These men are to be. Some men look at, uh, uh, I've written down here, some men look a lot younger than they really are. And that's not a problem. But it can be a problem when a man tries to look younger than he really is. There's a few people on TV I'm thinking about, but I'll just let you think of your own rather than mentioning any of them because that's what you'll talk about when you go to lunch. The pastor (laughs) talked about so-and-so. And And think of your ways in which some older men try to look younger, younger. Things they might try to do to themselves. And it's kind of a fine line as to whether or not it looks right. Or or you, okay, I buy that. Or you don't. And the worst thing about it is the further from reality it looks, usually the more likely the whole thing is to backfire on you and not look like you're being young, but look like you're being immature or out of touch or. Just one of those sad, my goodness. (laughs) That's not dignified. And in our culture, we've good grief. The ads on TV, if you still watch TV, have to do with medicines or some form of enhancements. Drive down to Florida and look at the billboards of stuff that they can do for you. If you happen to be old, it's it's just strange. That's not the picture of what Paul's describing here. These men have seen too much of life. Many of them have buried their parents. And for the rest of us who haven't done that yet, the last funeral I did was similar to one that I'd been to before where I shook the man's hand and said, one day I'll be able to say, I know how you feel. My mother's still alive. His was not. There's a difference that makes in your life. They've attended funerals of their friends, perhaps. It's been a long time since as a young man they had no notion of the brevity of life. Well, they're older now, so they think of those things. These are earned stripes of dignity and often are earned by no other means. That's the character quality that these older men have. Life isn't a joke for these men either. If they laugh, it's for a good reason. This is in contrast to younger men who look at life as one long joke. They don't laugh at something that's tragic or, or stupid. Life is different for them. This all goes back to dignity. Then they're sensible. This means self-control. It refers to a soundness of mind and thinking that shows up in a self-disciplined lifestyle. We're going to see that discipline Uh, Idea used quite a bit. Paul was a disciplined man and Christians should be as well. In other words, these men know what to do. They have discernment and that comes only through experience. They have the loose ends of life buttoned up. That would be a good way to put it. And then there's this... uh, Quick listing, uh, sound in faith, in love, and in steadfastness. So all of these are designated by the word sound. Sound simplistically means healthy. So they have a healthy faith, a healthy love, and a healthy perseverance. Their love is healthy. It's whole. It's uncontaminated as far as their trust of God. That's their faith. In love, their services to others. It's not so much selfish, but selfless. They've learned long enough that love isn't to be used up on themselves, but to be given to others. And sound in their perseverance. That means they're committed to following these things previous no matter what. This is in contrast to the American culture of retirement, isn't it? Because it sounds like this man is still very much useful in the family he attends church with where in so many ways you hit a certain age, you retire from your workplace, your hands on the knob of the back door. See you folks, I've, I've earned my leave. It may very well have. But wherever you go, do not deprive the experience you worked hard for to young people that it is useful to, I think is the point of all this. So I'll save the summary of the old men, older men, together at the end with the older women. But let's transition to that. We'll pick up the pace and I'll step a lot lighter (laughs) with the older women. Older women likewise are to be reverent in behavior, not slanderers or slaves to much wine. They are to teach what is good. You could take that verse and assign four words to its contents, the words sacred, sweet, sober, and serious, if you like to make notes, sacred, sweet, sober, and serious. Older women, likewise, are to be, so we're not take, making the, taking for granted or Assuming that older ladies in church have this automatically, this takes just as much hard work as for the men in the same way. Just as important, just as foundational to the church body, just as much an indispensable deposit of wisdom and experience, but just as possible to not have any of these qualities. So sacred is the first, and that is reverent in behavior. That's a tough word to translate because it's the only time in Scripture we see that word and the few other places we find it in Greek literature doesn't give us much but probably the best way to describe this I actually like the way the King James renders it as becometh holiness which is a a, a designation uh, to be described as fit for service in the temple Uh, kinda like those Ornaments and and fixtures in the temple that were sanctified and set apart and were taken care of at all costs These women are to be looked at in in that way Uh, This includes the idea of deportment. That's an old word, but none of you used it this past week You might next week, but likely because of this message deportment has to do with a person's behavior or manners just like the idea of a man trying to look like a younger man Uh, its unbecoming an older lady to try in that way and what's the worst I think is just something that you could go home and turn on the TV and it wouldn't take you long to see this type of thing but you may have a situation where a mother of an adolescent girl decides rather than to help her daughter negotiate the challenges of the culture that's pulling her in so many different ways, rather than trying to help her daughter, she actually tries to outdo her. It happens. And, and what's goofy about it is it seems that most of the recognition and attention on TV and all that seems to watch that type of person, and where they go, and what they say, and what they wear. Uh, it's a, a lot of it's just a joke, but it's like that spectacle you just can't turn away from sometimes. This is so removed from that, it, it doesn't even compare. Older women should know by this time that younger women are potential victims of shallow and short-lived promises. And if there were something on the other side of the coin that I think I would love for my wife and daughter to learn from older women in this church, it's that everything that our culture might say is attractive about a young woman isn't necessarily. They could be victims of shallow and short-lived promises. Putting all your eggs into that basket is going to leave you quite unfulfilled later in life and only a woman could talk about that to another woman this is no man's land as far as being able to explain that there's a reason why of these four groups only three of them Titus is told to to say anything to the younger women are to be taught by the older women we'll get to that in just a minute they're to be sweet which is the opposite of what's described in the verse as a gossip or malicious gossip which is to slander someone, and to slander someone is just to basically tell a lie about their character. And uh, I mentioned this last time I talked through this passage, and you can use it for whatever you see fit. But the original word here for the slanderer is Diablo. How many of you know what word that is? That's the devil. But it's used in the feminine sense. So that means a she-devil. So that's not sweet, is it? To be a she-devil. And you're only a she-devil when you're doing the devil's business, which is lying about someone else and their character. Have no part in that. And then be sober. The word enslaved refers to someone held and controlled against their will. A habit that likely began as something that promised the ability to withdraw from the pressures of life, perhaps. But has now become a prison cell and just like Paul wasn't picking only on alcohol in the previous chapter he isn't doing that here it could be anything any addiction that that keeps you from being what God would use in the service of a church or to your family or anyone else and then they're serious and this explains the why behind all the others why is it important that she be sacred and sweet and sober and push away all these things we see so often in our culture. And just think about it. Paul's not accusing these older women in the church of being these things. Though they may have been. They're in Crete for, for all we know. And there's a rough place. It's set there as an example of what to stay back from. And the reason of all this is in verse 4. Look at it. So train the young women to love their husbands and children. That's why they've got to be in that position. What does Titus, the pastor, many of the elders have to say to young women? Not much. That's the job of the older women. They're the only ones qualified to do it. They've been through those things. They've been where those young women are. Paul isn't talking in terms of formal education here just based on the context and the words that are used, they are teachers, of course, and they are, by nature of their teaching, sharing wisdom, but it seems in the most basic sense, the teaching is alongside the everyday events of life, most likely in the home, while running errands, or in an organic fashion. That can't happen if you're not spending time together older women and younger women but it's 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 not complicated it's not a DVD set at Lifeway it's not Beth Moore stuff it's just the average everyday stuff hey I'd do it this way and it works better hey it really does thanks for that It might be spiritual or practical but this isn't rocket science not likely to happen in a classroom with pre-purchased curriculum probably has more to do with a back porch and a bowl of snap beans see now that that's the application that's the uh, what accords with sound doctrine right just like the older men these ladies have been down the road the young lady is on presently they live in the world of experience where the young lady is still living in the world of theory they know the difference between the urgent and the important boy in that gold I mean when in a culture where you're changing uniforms in the minivan from one sport to the next all on the same trip is that important maybe is it urgent oh yeah Is urgent always important? Is important always urgent? No. You've got to know the difference between that. You need an older lady to help you with that so you don't run the wheels off the minivan and your brains out your ears. It'll drive you crazy. It can. They'll teach you how to use the most powerful word in the universe. No. I don't have enough time for that or I'm not going to put myself in that situation again like I did last year. It just makes the kids grow up faster. I'm wiser now. See how I can't say that stuff? But an older lady could, and you would be more inclined to listen to her than me. Back to the verse. Why would a woman need to be taught how to love her husband and children? Shouldn't that come naturally? Shouldn't Christians know how to love their, their husbands and their children? I mean, you, a woman births children, shouldn't she know how to love them? See, this is where guys don't have a clue. Sometimes that's a huge struggle. Not to love them, but just to live with them again. After so many days in a row, without a break or without coffee, because that ran out a week ago. Or at the end of the month when the check's gone. Or realizing you're married to a man that works all the time. You don't ever see him. You thought you would, but you don't. These things are where people live. Young woman who's been married just long enough to learn how stubborn, difficult, insensitive, and hard-headed her husband can be. And then to think wrongly that she's the only one married to... The only man like that. If she talked to an older lady, she could tell her, honey, they're all like that. <laughs> so it's the way they come out of the box. And only the grace of God is going to help them with that. And only the grace of God is going to make you as lovable as you expect Him to be. You see, it works on both sides. No man can say this type of thing to a woman, especially the stuff in verse 5. And if you're careful, I mentioned this already, Titus is given instruction only to teach the older men, the younger men, and the older ladies, but not the younger ladies. And I can be transparent with you. I shared this with the last group of people we taught through this. I think probably the most health. Helpless I ever felt in my relationship to my wife, Corey, Uh, after we'd been married some time, is when we lost our first child. It wasn't a long pregnancy. Some are longer. It becomes more difficult. The only thing I was keenly aware of is the fact that the way it made me feel was nothing like the way it made her feel and I was at a complete loss to know how to even talk about it other than just to sit in silence and maybe that was the best thing to do and other times when uh, we come home from the hospital and things seem to be going great and I go back to work like husbands do and now with more than one child in the house things are a little different but She's had nine months to prepare. Women are good at that. You ought to have seen her while she was nesting. It's all great. But then you get home and you realize something's wrong, don't know what it is, can't put your finger on it, but it's just not right. And the first time I remember hearing someone describe postpartum depression, I thought, that's funny. That's a joke, right? It's not a joke. And there's not a man on the planet who can understand it other than in some academic sense but it's a real thing my wife needed an older lady a husband wasn't any good to her in that situation even if he does call himself a bible teacher she still needs an older lady and so many of the younger ladies in this church need an older lady for things like that the tenderness in the eyes of an older lady who understands exactly what you're going through and then based on that You've got something together. You can work a lot of things out once you get to that place. So in summary, why is Paul writing all this? Why do we need older men and older women to act like that for the benefit of the younger men and younger women? Well, because of the gospel. Paul's not played his card yet. He will, and we'll get to it in verse 10. But just so we close here together, knowing what to expect. Look at verse 10. This is why the big why of all this. Why do I have to be sober and sweet? Why does the man have to be big, dignified, and, and clear-headed? Verse ten. So that in everything they may adorn the doctrine of God, our Savior. Do you know what it means to adorn? The Greek word actually is uh, starts sounds like uh, cosmo, like cos medics not cosmos like the world but it has to do it with beautifying something like curtains around a window uh, or jewelry you would wear to make attractive is the idea he's saying do all that in everything that you may make the gospel attractive to the world that's watching that's why and notice shouldn't miss this at all How does Paul describe God he says that's our Savior so what is it that we want to make attractive to the world in our living and doing our thing in a very basic way we know what we know in our head we work it out in our lives what do we want to tell the lost world that God is omnipotent that God is omniscient that God is faithful that God is true God is righteous. One of them is a lot better than all the others. That's what Paul said. I think it'd be best if we made attractive the fact that He is a Savior. That's what they need. There may be time to talk about all those other theological things, but remember what are we working with with the lost world? Behavior. They know that they're not perfect. Romans makes that clear. They know what it's like to try hard and to fail. If they come across somebody who's not perfect, but looks as if they've got some ability to actually live according to a standard that they'd like themselves to live up to, you might be making that part of Jesus attractive, which is the whole purpose of chapter 2. Your believing should determine your behavior. And if your behavior is the right way, you only beautify The fact that Jesus came to this world as the Lamb of God to take away the sins of the world as their Savior. That's our task. So when you look at it that way and you think about being told what to do, well, there's a reason why we're told what to do. So that we can fill heaven with more people for which Jesus died. So that said, plenty enough to go home to think about. Let's ask the Lord to help us to be obedient. Father in heaven, we thank you for the opportunity to have studied your word, to have understood your word along with the application of the sound doctrine. We pray now humbly for what is necessary to obey it. It may be that so many adjustments need to take place in stages to make us look more like you and less like ourselves. But give us patience. Give us resolve. Give us those things we don't have. Not for our glory, but for yours. We ask this in your name. Amen. Let us pray. A loving, gracious Heavenly Father, God, we we thank you for this day. And Lord, we thank you for the opportunity and yet the privilege to worship in your house today, God, Lord, we uh, we lift up our mission of the week, John Wilburn through Baptist Mid Missions, as he serves in St. Vincent, Lord, to find and bring those who don't know you to understand and, and believe in you and have faith in you, God, Lord. We thank you for this message that was presented here today, and Lord, we thank you for the the timeless uh, relevance that it that it brings today, God, and we help. We ask that you just help us to to take it to heart. And apply it to our daily lives, God. Lord, we're reminded of the gift that we're given through your son, Jesus Christ. And, Lord, we just ask that you keep us safe as we leave here today. And bring us all back together soon, Lord. And we ask these things through your wonderful name. Amen.